we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Hey, how are you guys doing? Good, okay. So, um, if you know me, you know I'm not super formal. Um, so, essentially what, uh, what I'm going to do today is, uh, is, is be myself. Um, so, and hopefully at the end, uh, if you didn't like it, you blame Aaron. Uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, I was talking to Aaron the other day, and I was telling him about how much I love to come to Westlake. Westlake was actually uh, the first Lake Forest uh, like family of church, church that I went to, uh, period. Um, and, and so it has a special place in my heart. And so when I get to come back and share, I was telling them, I was like, man, it just feels like family. It just feels like family to me. I get to be myself. I normally feel free to be myself, you know. If you meet me somewhere else, I'm probably the same way. But I know that when I leave, people are happy I was myself uh, at Westlake. And so um, I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. Um, okay, so um, let's do this first. Let's pray. Actually, before we do that, sorry, this song popped into my head. I don't know. Look, um, so I'm black, and um, <laughs> I know, I know, guys, uh, but I grew up in a, in a culturally black church. There's this song um, uh, that we sing, and um, it says, All of the other gods, they are the work of men, but you are the most high God. And it talks about how God is Jehovah. Right, and and that that was just the word that came up, like that, like like there are no other gods than him, and so that's what I'm gonna pray over us. Like, Jesus, I, I thank you that you are you stand alone. Um, it's a pantheon of one. It's just you. The world offers us different gods to worship: sex, money, power, prestige, achievement, purpose identity, all these different things. Some of them even come from you, but they are not you. You're the most high one. So today, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to hear your voice, our eyes to see you? Would you, would you soften our hearts to feel you until there's, until there's nothing uh, that's left in us that's um, not consumed by you? Um, and would you give us courage to step into places uh, we don't want to because you have more joy for us uh, than we probably want. Um, and you're willing to um, sometimes even cripple us if it means that we won't run away from what you have. Help us to see that as love. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to share a little bit. I'm going to summarize uh, a little bit what's happened in chapter 5, and then I'll just Share some stories. <laughs> That's how it's going to work. So the, the thing that came up this morning, I, I was just, I was praying. Um, actually, a couple days ago, I was praying, and, um, and the trajectory of my life with the Lord has meant that um, I get to kind of speak and teach and facilitate a lot, but I don't get to prepare very much. I'm not allowed to. It's a pride thing, you know? But um, there, there was just this reality that, that I found that I was, like, pretty eloquent, relatively charismatic, and I loved attention. 
And, and so when I became a Christian, I realized, oh, I'm able to speak, and people will, like, listen and think I'm smart and stuff, you know? Like, and, and then they'll invite me to speak more. And, and it just became this idol in my heart where I realized at the end, even though God used things, I'm sure, even though, uh, like, amazing things were said, at the end, uh, when people were saying, oh, man, what a great sermon, I was like, yeah, man. It was pretty great, wasn't it? You know, I was feeling myself, and and uh, and so the Lord from a, a very uh, from the beginning was like, "Hey, man, no more of that. Uh, I'm going to cause you to live in such a way that when you finally do speak, if anything happens, uh, at the very least, you will know it's because I did it. No one will be able to say you won't be able to say, oh yeah, because I'm so smart, I thought about this so much. You know, you it it'll just." be your life. And so even a couple days ago, I was, I was thinking, I was fighting the urge because I know what happens. I'll like try to prepare and I'll sit there for like two days and God's just like, yeah, I'm not doing this with you. And so, and so either way I was praying, but I was annoyed with him like three days ago. I'm like, bro, don't make me go up there looking stupid now. And he's like, first of all, I don't care what you look like. Second of all, he said, Brent, you don't need to prepare to be yourself. Preparation is life with me. And if you'll live life with me, you'll always be prepared. So, I was praying this morning, and I was thinking, God, what do you, what, you know, what do you have? And, and he brought up this moment from a couple years ago, about a year and a half ago. So, I'm a twin. Um, so, oh, did I start my timer? Good Lord, you know, I, I'm long-winded. Okay, um, <laughs> so... So about a year and a half ago, I had this, uh, I had this dream. Uh, I'm a twin. Uh, my brother's my best friend. Uh, up until um, recently, we had never spent more than like 10 hours or 20 hours apart. Like, uh, like I've been with him my whole life. He's like my best friend. When he got married, I told him he was cheating on me. I told his wife. I was there first, you know. I was like, Kyle, come on, let's run away together. We could, um, you know, <laughs> like. That's, that's, that's my brother, my best friend. I had this dream, and, and the details don't matter too much, but the point of the dream is that, is that um, my brother died in it. Right? And I woke up, and I was just distraught. I mean, uh, it felt so real. You know, one of those dreams is just like so real. Even after you wake up, like it's, it's haunting you, you know? Some dreams you can't remember, and some dreams you're like, I wish I could forget, right? And it was one of those. It was just like, I mean, I guess it was more of a nightmare in, in a sense. Like it was just, I was a mess. I mean, I woke up crying, and I did not finish for like two or three days. Um, and, and I knew that it was from the Lord, but I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to mean. Like, I was just in, in tension and turmoil, and I call him, and I'm just crying. He's like, bro, what's wrong with really? <laughs> you know, Like, I'm like a mess. So three days of dehydration. You know when you cry so much, you have, like, salt stains on your face? It's one of those, okay? And, and so the Lord finally speaks to me, and, and he's like, Brent, why are you so sad? Well, you know, you'll, you'll get to be with him in heaven. And I was like... Yeah, but, you, you know, like, but, but that's not enough. And he's like, yeah, but, like, you know, you'll still have the memory of him. And I was like, yeah, but that wouldn't, I mean, but it's, but it's not him. He's like, but, but what if he wrote things down? You could read, like, stuff that he wrote, and, like, you'd get to be close with him, right? And I'm like, no, but that, that's not it. it. It wouldn't be the same thing. And he's like, how come you don't feel that way about me? How come, how come you're content to, to wait till you get to heaven to be with me? How come you spend days, maybe weeks, sometimes without even thinking about me? How is it possible that hours, minutes, seconds go by and, and, like, and my presence is withdrawn from you and you don't even notice because you're not even concerned? 
How is it that you could spend three days crying for someone who's not dead, and you could spend zero days crying for someone who died for you? Like, how, how, how does that line up? I and it was so hard for me. And he just asked me, he's like, I mean, because that's how you treat me. Like, you have this book, but, but that's not me. And, and like, yeah, you'll meet me in heaven one day, but that's not me. I want to live with you. I want your life to be a vessel for me. If you'll get out of the way, I'll live my life through you. And everything that you want will, will be supplied to you. Like, and how come you don't want that with me? How come we don't have that? And very gently, he was like, do you love him more than you love me? And I was like, I, I guess, you know, what are you going to do? It's God. Like, it's like, I mean, you kind of, you got me there, God. I guess, well played, you know. Like, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I think I do. And, and it just started this journey where he's like, Brent, like, hey, he didn't die for you, though. Like some of you guys know, I became a Christian because I was on my way to make a suicide attempt and I had this miraculous encounter with God. Uh, so some of you know that, some of you don't, but, that, but that's how it happened for me. And he was just like, yeah, but Brent, when, when you were alone and nobody knew how deep in despair you were and you were about to do something you could not take back, Kyle, that's my brother, he didn't come for you. He didn't come save you. He didn't, he didn't come into your room. I know you love him, but, like, but what about me? I was the one that was there for you when no one was around. I was the one that gave you purpose and identity when you were, when you were lost, when you put your hope in Babylon and idols that did not deliver on their promises. I was the one that saw you there when you were sinking deep in sin, drowning in your own shame, in your own guilt, bottle in your hand, the consequences of your own actions. It was me. What more do I have to do? Don't, don't, you, don't you want me? And, and so, I mean, that's just what came up this morning. And I would just, I mean... Just adoration um, of, the, of, the, of the lover of my soul, of the one who sees me. I mean, when, when other people, like, my brother is going to die one day. He's going to, right? I don't want him to, but he's going to, right? And, and, and we'll be apart. But Jesus has already died, and, like, he has kinship with me, and he, and he wants to be with me. And, I, man, I just want that to be my life. I want that to be the desire of my heart. And that's actually what I've been praying for recently. It was so funny um, when Aaron asked, like, hey, do you, you, know, do you want to speak? We're speaking on Daniel because God had just spoken to me. Um, I didn't tell you this, but <laughs> uh, now you learn. Um, <laughs> God had just spoken to me. Uh, and I'd had this encounter, and he just revealed to me, he's like, Brent, I want more. I know, I know people might be satisfied, because you get up and you say good things, and you got good stories about what Jesus does in your life, and you get to talk about people coming to faith, and people getting healed, or whatever, and that's all great, but, but I want more of you. And I was like, okay, Lord, but what do I, <laughs> what do, I do? And he said, if, if you will, uh, this goes back to Daniel 3, he said, if you will light the fire of your life, if you increase it seven times until the only thing that can survive are the things that belong to me, then you will be prepared for me to do what I want to do in your life. And as he said, I, I, I want you to increase the fire of your life. I, I, I want you to, to, to raise it up a notch until the only things that are left are the things that are mine. And, so, and that's what happens in Daniel 3, right? So, so strong men from Babylon, they die. Uh, the ropes from Babylon, they die. But the Hebrews who worshiped Yahweh, they're alive, right? So only the things that belong to God survive. And he's like, that's what I want you to do in your life. And, and that's the backdrop of what I want to share this morning. Um, 
So let's just, let's just go, to, go to Daniel 5. So I'm going to hit you with a Brent paraphrase message of what's happening here. It may be a little heretical, um, but Aaron knows the whole Bible, and he can probably recite this uh, without even looking at it. So you can ask him about it. But, so I'm going to summarize the first, first portion. What happens is King Nebuchadnezzar is dead. There you go. I, I learned that from the first sermon. Yeah, okay. It caught me off guard at first, but I'm ready. Um, so King Nebuchadnezzar is dead, right? And, yeah, there you go. Um, so he's dead. And his son has taken the throne, Belshazzar. And all we know is that he's had, uh, the, the king before him, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he's had a lot of encounters with God, uh, but he probably hasn't changed that much. It seems like he learned something about God, but he, get, he forgets it pretty quickly. We know that he doesn't have problem changing people's names, um, but he still names his son Belshazzar, right, which is in honor of his god, Baal. Um, so, so whatever uh, encounters he's had with Adonai or, or, or Yahweh, they, they haven't stuck. And so now Belshazzar is on the throne, and he's having a party, a little, a little kickback, a lituation, as the kids say. That's like lit, the situation. It's like a, it's a okay, you're old. Uh, you're old, you're old, it's fine, it's okay, it's okay, here we go. But he's, he's having a little kickback, right, with his wives and a thousand of his closest friends, and they're drinking, right? And they're drinking, and just like many people, when he's drinking, he starts getting ideas, you know? Ideas he would never have had if he wasn't drinking. And, and so one of these ideas is, hey, let's go get the altar, uh, the, the sacraments of this Jewish god, Adonai. Let's go get his sacraments and let's drink wine out of those. Right? And, and everyone knew that this would be very disrespectful to that god. Like, they already knew that this is a, not an atheist world, it's a polytheistic world. Right? So, so, so they already know what the deal is. And he's like, yeah, I think that this is a great idea. And, and for me, I'm kind of like, this is... It's not in the text, but I'm reading it in a little bit. It's like there's a guy who's like in the back. There's always one guy who's like, this might not be a good idea, you know? But they don't really say anything too much. And it's just like, so you mean like the God who like, remember like a couple of years ago, like Nebuchadnezzar got really angry when people wouldn't bow down. And then like he tried to burn them alive, but then like they didn't die because their God appeared with them in the fire. Like, like, our, like our gods can't do, like, you want to mess with that god? Like, that's the, that's the one? And he's like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And he's like, wait, okay, I'm just trying to make sure. You mean like Nebuchadnezzar when he's standing on his roof and he's honoring himself and he's like, man, I'm so great. This is awesome. And then he gets struck with madness and he's turned into an animal for like seven years, like a Halloween that never ends. Like, like that's the guy you want to, that's, that's who we're talking about, right? It's like, yeah. Let's go for it, right? So they do it, right? They do it. And, and long story short, God is angered by this. Uh, uh, and what happens to Belshazzar is this uh, hand comes out of nowhere. There's writing on the wall. And nobody can read it. Nobody knows what it says. His mom comes out. You should always listen to your mom. That's the beginning of the gospel. Um, you should always listen to your mom. His mom was like, well, actually, um, there's this guy from, from way back in the day. Like, he, he has wisdom and insight from God, and maybe he can tell us what it says. And so they call forth Daniel. And so now Daniel's standing in front of Belshazzar um, because Belshazzar has exhausted all of his options. And he says, Hey, Daniel, I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. Now I've heard that you're able to solve and interpret, uh, to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, 
You'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. When Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king, and I'll tell him what it means. All right. Uh, and so what stuck out to me here was Daniel's response. Like Daniel says, like, bro, I've been through this before. Keep your gifts. Right, and this is something we're going to notice through the life of Daniel. Like, if you've noticed, Daniel's been promoted like a thousand times. As all, you know when you go to the fast food restaurant and they're like, our ice cream machine is down and someone's in the back eating a milkshake? And you're like, oh yeah, it's always down. That's how many times Daniel's been promoted in Babylon, right? Like, like he's been promoted so many times, been made ruler over so many things. And it's like every time he does something, he's forgotten about again. Daniel's always being called from somewhere else. People are always forgetting. They need him in a time of moment, or uh, they, they have him uh, need of him in, in a certain moment, but then they forget, right? And it's almost like this cycle for Daniel. And, and for me, it, as we look through the narrative, narrative of Daniel, we start to see, I, I think that Daniel's learning a lesson. Um, and it's that Babylon will forget about you, but God won't. It's this idea that Babylon is obsessed with itself. It only cares about itself because it only has itself. Its gods are not real. And if you live in a world where your gods are not actually real, then it means that you are ultimately the provider of all your, your hope, your success, your happiness, your identity, your joy, your peace. Right? It means that you're actually the answer to all your problems. And so it means you have to be obsessed with yourself. If you're not obsessed with yourself, then no one will be. No one will take care of you. But the, but the idea that comes up for, for Daniel is like, well, no, actually, our God is real. And so I don't have to care about myself. And it's one of the things that if we're going to be able to thrive or live in Babylon as, as saboteurs or, or, or agents in a foreign land, right? Like, we have to become comfortable with being forgotten. Like, like, we have to become comfortable with, like, doing things for people, loving them, coming to them in their moment of need, and then as soon as it's over, like, don't even remember us. Now, now Babylon can't stand that. If, if, if you're living in Babylon, if you've grafted that culture into a part of your life, like, you, you actually can't survive that way in Babylon. Because in Babylon, everything is fake, and, and you're actually the source of everything. If you don't look out for you, no one will look out for you. But... But, but the idea for Daniel is like, no, actually, I'm real. Trust me. So that by the time, like the third or fourth time he's being elevated and he's being offered something, he's like, bro, I don't even, I don't even want it. Because you're living a lie. Everything you have is on loan. You don't even know that tonight you're going to die and your kingdom's going to pass to someone else. Which is what happens. Right? So he's like, hey, look, I'll, I'll do the thing for you. That's what I'm here for, but... But the rewards of Babylon that you want to offer me, like, it's, I'm just not interested. I know that Babylon never keeps its promises. I've been there a couple of times. Like, you guys have made me rulers, like, you know, like four or five times, and, and you always forget. And, and, and so uh, what, what's come up for me over the, like, the, <laughs> feels like the last forever, um, is the same sort of tension where I feel like Daniel has learned to trust that Babylon will always forget that what it offers will never deliver and that only God can be trusted. And to put his hope in God over Babylon, over, over actually good things. It means that when you go into the fire and he says, hey, if you don't bow, you're going to burn. It says, I'd rather burn and be with my God than be out here without him. Like, like if my God's in the fire, then I'm going to go be with him. 
Because it would be better to be with a real God and a real fire than to be outside and safe with no one. So if that's where he's at, then that's where I'm going, right? It's this, it's this idea that keeps getting carried through Babylon of like, look, we're not going to do it your way. You want us to eat food sacrifice to idols. We're going to do it our way. And the consequences are, I mean, well, maybe they happen. But we've got to serve the Lord, right? It's just, it's just this idea. And, and to me, it, it, all of it really is, is, is about trust. Um, it's this idea that if we have to be the ones who take care of ourselves, we actually can't do anything. We can't love anybody. We can't do anything significant. We're always interested in our own interests. It means this is how it looks like at work. It means like you have a coworker at work who doesn't know the Lord. And maybe sometimes you get this urge, like maybe I should just invite them or maybe I should just talk to them, ask them if I could pray for them. But Babylon has convinced you that you're at work to cut a check. And so instead of saying, well, no, I'm actually at work because God loves my coworkers, because he actually wanted me and my flavor of the gospel of Jesus Christ to rub up against their life and cause something to happen. Well, so, so actually now they're my goal and I'll do whatever it takes to do that and God will take care of my check. But instead, Babylon says, well, you can't do that. You've you got to toe the party line. Like, like you got to make sure that people don't think you're too weird. You want to protect your witness. You don't want to be one of those weird Christians that acts like the gospel is like life or death. Right? I mean, someone will invite him to church, right? Someone will pray for him or fast for him. or so, Someone will care about him. It doesn't have to be you. There's plenty of people. There's other Christians in Babylon, Right? Like, that's what Babylon teaches us. It says, it says, hey, well, actually, you can't care about him because, because what if caring about him means that, you know, you lose your job or, or, God forbid, people look at you weird. Like, that's the suffering Jesus said, hey, you're going to experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, but this is me, right? I'm not, I'm, this isn't me versus you. It's like, this is what I've seen in my own life. Like, I have a roommate who's not a believer, you can tell. Never mind. I'm not going to go into details. But the point is, he's not a believer. I promise, right? He's not. Um, and and I was so convicted because the Lord was just like Brent. If you don't love him, who's going to? If you don't do it. So he got sick one night, right? And uh, he called. Uh, he's like texting me from the bathroom. He's like, bro, like, can you help me? Like, if you have any medicine, I didn't have any medicine. And what's the first thing the Lord says? Hey, you should go pray healing for him. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not doing that. As a grown man in the bathroom, okay? You know, boundaries, all right? You love boundaries, right, Lord? Okay, second thing is, but what if it doesn't work? And like, what if he thinks, he already thinks I'm in a cult because I told him he could have all my stuff. Like, when I first met him, I was like, hey, bro, everything I have is yours. And like, man, if you want anything, don't even ask. Like, that's how Jesus treats me. So you just have it. Like, don't worry about it. Um, And he's like okay, and then he realized I didn't drink, and I told him that I hadn't had sex in six years, and I'm in this relationship, and been that for three years, and he's just like, what? And so one day he's like, are you in a cult? And I'm like, why? He's like, you're just like, I don't know, man, weird, like, he's like, my my friends come over, and they ask what you do, and he's like, I don't know, he just, he's either like gone, praying for people, or he's like in his room praying. I don't know. He's just, I think he's in a cult. And I was like, bro, I'm not in a cult. He's like, look, man, you don't have to convince me you're not in a cult. You pay rent on time. I'm like, I'm not in a cult. He's like, it's fine. You know, like, right. He won't believe me. Right. But he just thinks I'm in a cult because I'm being a Christian in public, like, which says something about our world, I guess, you know, 
Um, but so long story short, I go and I pray for him. Um, and I'm like, hey, bro, I know this is weird. Can I, can I pray for you, though? And he's like, okay. So I pray for him. And I give him some, like, ibuprofen or whatever. And I talk to him in the morning. I'm like, bro, how do you feel? And he's like, well, it's, it's kind of weird, man. Like, actually, the moment you prayed, all my pain went away. And I was like, yeah, that is weird. You know, like, and I was like, okay, so what do you think about that? He's like, I don't know, man. That's kind of weird. And I was like, hey, well, you know, like, actually, that's Jesus. Like, he loves you. He's like, maybe it was Jesus, maybe it was aliens. Like, I don't know. And I was like, no, it was Jesus. It wasn't, like, okay, stop, right? You're being ridiculous now, right? But, but it was this tension of like, but God, like, but what if he thinks I'm weird and all these different things? And, and, and at the end of the day, it just had to be like, Brent, do you trust me? Right? If, if, if you believe that salvation is a miraculous thing anyways, then what, what do you care if I, if I do it through praying or if he reads his Bible or if he comes, you know, what, what do you care? Do you trust me? Okay, and that's just been coming up over and over. Uh, I do campus ministry, and and uh, the things were going well. We were having like 70, 80 people. It's like a year and a half ago, and I'm in the middle of this Bible study, and things are going well. It's multi-ethnic. It's awesome. It's great. And the Lord said so clearly, like, Brent, I'm I'm not pleased. And I'm like, you gotta be pleased. Like, this is I'm climbing the Christian ladder right now, you know. <laughs> Like, I'm going to get invited to pastor church any day now. You know? Like, or whatever. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, you know, like these just stupid ideas. Like, God cares about that, right? And he's like, Brent, I am not pleased. People come, and then they leave, and they're not different. I don't care. It, like, like, like you, you've started to believe this lie that just because a lot of people are in the same place, something's happening. Like, it's not, you know that in other places, like, in your life, but here, like, like, Babylon has sneaked into you. And it's almost like you care more about being seen as someone who's a good Christian than actually caring about the things I really care about. And I was like, oh, okay. And so he said, kill it. And so I had to kill, kill it. <laughs> and now we're, like, 25 or 30, and, like, we dropped dramatically, Right? Because I just started pushing more and asking more. But it's been amazing. Actually, Carrington, raise your hand. You're about to get exposed, right? So that's Carrington right there. She's here. This is one of my students. We were in Chipotle the other day for uh, uh, discipleship. And uh, we just, I just got there. I was late because I'm always late. About five minutes. So she was already there. We sit down, and she just keeps glancing at this guy in Chipotle. Like, she just won't stop. And I'm like... Come on, what are, you know, what are we going to do, right? And she's like, oh, I feel like I'm supposed to go evangelize to that guy, but I don't want to. She's scared, and we talk about it. And, and I'm in the middle of trying to encourage her. I'm like, look, man, God, you know, God's faithful. And she's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. And she gets up. Like, she didn't let me finish. And she goes to talk to this guy, and she doesn't come back for like an hour and ten minutes. And he's like twice her age. He's like in his early 40s, like just this, this guy. And then she comes back, brings her Bible, and goes back to him. And I'm like... And then and me and like our friend, we're watching, and he's now he's crying and crying. And we're like, it's in the middle of this Chipotle. Like, what is going on? You know? And she comes back and just shares how, oh man, the Lord gave me a word for him. And, and actually he, he'd been looking for a sign from God that God really loved him. He hasn't been in church in 10 years. And now he says he's going to start going again. He asked me to teach him how to hear from God. I told him I could teach him right now. So I taught him how to hear from God. And then God spoke to him. Then he started crying. And now he's rededicated his life to the Lord. And I'm like... 
let's go, you know, like, I, and, and I'm so hyped, but, but a year and a half ago, that wouldn't have happened because I cared about other things. And, and I was so grateful for Carrington. She's like, Brent, this is because of you. I wasn't like this before I met you. I wore my little cold Grinch heart, you know. It's just this idea of like, isn't that more exciting than a hundred people being in a room and we all sing, we're like, oh, awesome. And then we go home and we cry because we're lonely or we, or we go to sleep at night and we wonder, is this really it? Do I really have everything? Does people really love me? Do I really have a purpose or an identity? Like, isn't that better? Right? And that's just what God's been doing in my life. And in particular, this is the last thing, that, and I want to end on this. I, I want to I give a challenge to you, wherever you're at with the Lord. Um, so I was abused uh, by um, like two different people from the ages of like four to seven. Right? And, and, and so like messed with me, right? My whole identity became, and so I was abused, I was forced to do things, and then I was told I wasn't good at them. So it was like this double lie of like, I'm only good uh, to satisfy people, but I'm not good at it, right? So it's just this lie, this idol grew up in my life that says like, actually you need people uh, to want you and to validate you and to affirm you, and also you aren't worth affirming or validating or wanting, right? And just spun out of control in my life, just a lie that I believe from a really young age, Right? And I actually didn't know, but carried it into my relationship with Jesus. Met Jesus, and I'm like, okay, I'm getting rid of all this stuff, and, and God's giving me freedom and, and areas of temptation and all these different things that have ruled my life because my life was about becoming something, being seen by someone, right? Being validated, wanted, needed, right? And God was stripping that stuff away, and it was great, right? And then I get into this relationship with this woman I, I, I love, and, and just recently, it was like a month ago, maybe less, maybe three weeks ago. Um, as, as the abuse stuff kept coming up more and more, and I realized it was actually <laughs> what I thought it was, it was, it was worse, right? It had affected so much of my life. And now I was treating her differently. Like, it was just getting, it, it, it was getting out of hand. And, and the Lord was essentially like, hey, Brent, um, you, you got to check this. Like, like, I didn't create her to satisfy your insecurities, and I'm like, but God, we've been celibate and we haven't crossed any boundaries and all these different things, but, but secretly my hope was in marrying her. Because then when we get married, we can finally do intimate things and then I can go back to the four, five, six, seven-year-old who's been told that's all he's good for and then I can prove to her that I'm worth wanting. Right? So even though I was tricking myself, I'm doing the right things. On the outside, everyone's pleased, right? But in my heart, I'm just hoping God will help prop up my idolatry. Give me a woman so I can prove to her that I'm worth something, even though I know you say you love me, but I don't really care about you. I need somebody else to do it. Right? And it was so, so hard for me that he's bringing this up, and he was like, hey, you got you to gotta kill this. And, and specifically what he asked, he, he said, Brent, you need to become a eunuch. I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, like, like Lord, but didn't you promise that I was going to have this relationship? And haven't I been faithful to you? I haven't crossed any, any boundaries. And like, I, I, I've tried to trust you. And like, now I can't have this thing. Like, I don't even know. Does that mean like we can't be together? Or, or, and, and every time I'm asking questions, he said, Brent, I'm not talking about that. I want you to trust me. I need you to become a eunuch. I need you to give up all hopes, all rights, all ideas, all plans about what it means for you to be intimate with another person. I need you to be willing to not be with her anymore, to not engage in these things ever again. I need you to give all that up. 
And I'm like, but you promised. And, like, and he's like, Brent, we're not talking about that. Will you trust me? Right? And I, I mean, I'm just in this tension for like three days. I'm having cold sweats, nightmares, vomiting. Like, I'm like not in a good place. I like feel like I'm dying. Because some of my earliest memories are like, if I don't have this, if I can't be this for someone, who will I be? If I can't do this, if I can't have it, and I, and I thought you were going to help me get what I wanted, right? Like, I, I thought that we were, in, we were in this together. And he was like, no, no, actually, you don't want enough for yourself. You, you, are, you will be easily satisfied with a different type of bondage. Like, you're okay with that, but I'm not okay with that. I want more for you. And I'm like, but these are good things. Yeah, but they're not me. Right, these promises of Babylon, but but isn't it a good thing to want to be in, in charge? And isn't it a good thing to want to be promoted and have money? Yeah, sure, but they're not me though. And Babylon will lie to you and say that it's better than me, that having a good position is better than me. Only you find out two days later that that king wasn't even the real king at all, and you don't have any position, or you work your way up, and then a crisis in 2007 hits, and you have no job. And all your identity, all your money, all your happiness, all your hope was rested on a career. And God had been trying to ask it from you and say, hey, surrender this to me. Because he knew it was coming and he didn't want you to suffer. But, but Babylon was so tempting. Right? And so, so I'm like in this turmoil and, and finally I'm like, but God, like if I, I don't know who I'll be. What, what will I do? And, like she, and now she has to you know, pay for this? Like, I, like we haven't done anything wrong. He's like... Brent, Brent, will you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Trust that I'm better than Babylon. Trust that I have a plan. Not just that I'm God. Not just that I'm owed your allegiance. I am. But that's not what you need to trust. You need to trust that I'm good. Babylon has gods. They're just not good. Babylon's gods won't protect you from the fire. They won't save your child when it's sick. Actually, Babylon will ask you for your child, and, and God will give up his child for you, right? There's, there is this tension between the kingdom and Babylon, and Babylon has gods, but they're not good. Our God is good. That's what I think Daniel has learned by the time he gets to this place, and he's like, look, I don't even want it. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm here for the kingdom. Take me or leave me. Throw me back in the dungeon or wherever you were putting me. I'll be fine. And... Okay. Um, and so I had to surrender. And I didn't know what it looked like. And I'm like, man, I, I've been in this relationship for three years. We've been doing it the right way. And, 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 and I knew I could hide it. I could act like, you know, like we, we look good on paper and all these different things. Nobody knows that there's secret idolatry in my heart that I'm just waiting for a moment where, where God will be an accomplice in my own idolatry and make me feel wanted and needed even though he's already told me he wants me, already told me he needs me, right? Nobody knows. Nobody, people will still invite me to preach and they'll still be like, oh, you're, you're a super great Christian, all these different things. It would just be me. I, I would just be in this relationship and realize it didn't satisfy and run to some sort of other type of idolatry. And God's saying, hey, I have better for you. I want good things for you. Will you trust me? And so I cried a lot. <laughs> and I talked to her and I said, hey, like this is what's coming up. I don't even know if we get to stay together. I just know that if God is asking me if I love him or I love you, I love him. And so we just have to be prepared for whatever God says. If he says we're breaking up, we're breaking up. If he says that we don't get married for another 10 years, fine, whatever, right? It's just, do I love God or do I love you? I, I love God. 
And, and, and God bless her. She was, she was okay with it. Right? And, and, and the freedom that came from letting go of that, like, I mean, literally, like a physical burden. No more cold sweats and nightmares, obviously. Just like, just like freedom, man. And uh, that's the freedom I want for my roommate. To know that he doesn't have to spend his life with women and, and partying, and, and he doesn't have to wonder where his identity is at, or, or if he can be uh, the next big thing in his little field. Like, like I, I want him to know that he can give up everything Babylon is tempting him with, because God is better than that, because he's worth it. The freedom that comes from knowing that your God isn't just God, but he's good. And so here's uh, my challenge for you guys. Like, like, what is that in your life? Like, like, what's the thing that, like, maybe God's been asking for, bringing up over and over, and maybe well-meaning Christians just like me have said, oh, it's okay, you can have both. God wouldn't ask for all of that. I mean, he would say you should lay down your life for him, but I mean, he wouldn't ask you to lay down your sex. That's a lot. You know, just the way we mince these words and we, and, we, and we almost make it easy for us not to trust him because now we're all do, not trusting him together. Oh, you didn't invite you to your co-work? Neither did I. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, you too? Okay, come on. You know, and now it just becomes this thing that we're doing and we know it's not right. And we're reading this book and we're like, man, do I have that? Do I want that? Do, you know, is, is that true for me? What is that for you? Maybe just confess it to someone. Someone who won't give you a pass. <laughs> someone that when you tell them, they won't ever ask about it again. You know, so, someone who cares because, because they're like, you know what? That's true for me too. Maybe God has more. So, uh, worship team, you, you guys can come. Um, here, let me pray for us.